Return to Northmore, episode zero. Running time, 24 minutes. And welcome to the Return to Northmore podcast. I'm your host, Kim Stone. Joining me is my co-host, Tim White. Hello. I guess we should go ahead and introduce ourselves. Why don't you go ahead and start first and tell me a little bit about yourself and some of your gaming history and what you are in real life. So I'm Tim White, and I've been gaming since I was 16. That's almost 20 years now. <clears throat> so we won't talk about that. Yeah, but it's been quite a while. And I've been DMing pretty much that whole time as well. And I've played a whole lot of D&D, but I've also uh, played a ton of Cthulhu, Chill, and lots of other games, including a lot of indie games and such in recent years. So you've covered a lot of different genres then. Absolutely. And horror is probably my favorite genre, but I don't necessarily believe that you need a special game just to have horror. So were you writing for these different genres or playing or doing a little bit of mix and match? Well, in the 90s, I did an extensive amount of writing for the RPGA, which was TSR and then WotC's organized play division. And I was writing what would later become called classic events, which are character-provided events where the event comes with a specific set of characters that are written just for that event. And it's a very special and specialized genre that was incredibly popular in the 90s and really had its heyday then. And I even got to the point where I wrote the three-round feature with a couple of co-authors for the Gen Con convention a couple years in a row, which was a huge deal with hundreds and hundreds of players at Gen Con every year. I remember that scenario, actually, and I had the good fortune of playing in that. Well, there was a couple, three of them. I think you didn't get to play all of them, but um, several yeah, of them. Yeah, I know did. that you had three different series, so right. I did play in a few of those. And so in your real life, because this uh, uh, podcast is going to be made mostly for working adults with very busy lives, and so to show that we actually have very busy lives, why don't you tell us about that? So I'm a web developer for a large telecommunications company. And I am actually a lead web developer for the biggest part of that website and have been for many years. It's a very, very time-consuming and mentally draining job. And it's a tough thing to find not only the time, because we can always find the time if we really want to, but to try to find the mental fortitude to sit down and write a D&D campaign week after week uh, when your brain is pretty much fried from the job. So for those of us who are players, it's a little bit easier because we just kind of have to show up to the game. But Tim has to put in quite a few hours on a weekly basis to put this all together for our gaming group as well as for all of you. And one of the things I realized is since I was putting all this time and effort in, we're in sort of a unique position being part-time parents that we still have all of the stresses and challenges of being a parent, but we don't have to necessarily deal with it every day. So among our friends, we're in somewhat of a unique position to have a little bit more time to do this sort of thing, this podcast and doing the writing of the module, than some of our friends do. And I wanted to really leverage that time that we had to put the show together to help out people who may not have that opportunity. Well, I guess I'll tell you all a little bit about myself. Um, I also have been a gamer for quite some time. Uh, I can remember my first gaming experience was with Ye Old Red Box um, with my 
fifth grade music teacher leading the charge as GM, and my dad, who is awfully dwarf-like in real life, decided to play a dwarf, and I was playing an elf. And while we had hours and hours of fun, my mother was somewhat disconcerted by the experience, and she promptly got rid of the red box, which I then got money from my father and promptly rebought the red box. So I've been at this since I was in about the fifth grade. Then, of course, that dropped off, seeing as I was from a very small rural town in the hinterlands of Montana, and began to get back into it once I got back into college. Yeah, her graduating high school class was three people. That's how small we're talking. Yes, that's three. One, two, three. Not 300, but three people. So it's obviously clear to figure out who was in the upper third of the class. You know, what's funny is you talk about starting with the red box. I actually started with the red box first. My mom bought it for me for my birthday when I was nine-ish or so. And I got it and I read it. And as soon as I realized that this wasn't a game that you could play by yourself and that you had to have a whole bunch of other people with you, I told my mom I'd never be able to play this game and she took it back. Oh, really? See, I had bought it for myself because I was fascinated by the pictures on the front. And I read through all of the information and was fascinated by this whole concept. But considering that there were maybe six people of my age in the entire town, of which four of them could read, it became a little bit of an issue. So I was very thankful that down the road I had a music teacher who came from that crazy land of California, and she was very familiar with the system, and so she put together a game for myself and my dad. As I was saying, I started back up in college and gamed all throughout college, had a great group, and we got together on a weekly basis, and sometimes we would have weekend sessions. And then after college, we actually got together every New Year's and took our characters beyond. Did a lot of tournament play when I found out that there was tournament play. I'll never forget my first tournament because I had no clue of what was going on. I showed up, people were urging me to play, and then after the session was done, I had to go back home. I had like a three-hour drive to get back to my house from Denver. And so they said, oh, you need to stay for the award ceremony. And I blew that off for a couple of years. The first year that I actually stayed for the award ceremony, I had played in the three-round elimination event for the feature. And I stayed for the award ceremony, and I didn't think anything of it. And they were talking about who won the first round. And, of course, I had won the first round. Right, so there was like six tables of the first round. And then they talked about the winners of the second round that could proceed into the third round. And it's like a, a double elimination type of situation. And then they talked about the person who won the best player at the final round because it goes down to just one group of six players. And much to my surprise and somewhat to my horror, they awarded me the winning prize. And that was the first time I actually had my very own player's handbook. And I still have that to this dying day. Oh, because you won it. Because I won it. Of course, then, I still have it in the house, but I willed that on to my son because at nine years old, we have him playing now. And he has actually seen three editions of the Player's Handbook as well because the one that you gave him would have been a 201. It was a second edition. Right. And then I gave him a 351, I think, for Christmas two years ago. A couple of years ago. And so we played some of that with him uh, you know, not a whole lot, but you know enough where he got a feel for the game, and he definitely enjoyed it. And then now he hasn't got his own 4-0 player's handbook yet, but he definitely shares the There's ones around. There's always Christmas. Yes, the holidays are coming up. 
we kind of gave you the impression that we primarily play D&D, and, and I think in general that's our go-to game and just has been because it's what we're most familiar with. But I've played all sorts of different genres myself. Um, partook in a number of Vampire, The Masquerade, some Werewolf, enjoy Spycraft quite a bit. So there's a, a number of games. What it really comes down to for me is it's not so much about the rules, because the rules are what they are. It's the role-playing. You can make any game your own as long as people are willing to role-play. Exactly. And what I have found is that when you have a group that's meeting week after week, and of course we play in our primary group on a weeknight, and Kim has other groups as well, but the group that we'll be discussing in this podcast, the actual Northmore campaign group, meets on Wednesday nights because we're all busy professionals, and frankly, on the weekends, we're running our kids to soccer games and we're all over the place, so we really don't have time to dedicate you know, four or five hours to sitting down to play with our friends. But during the week, we're able to carve out that time, and Kim is kind enough usually most nights to make dinner, so we have a nice ritual of everybody coming together and having dinner. We actually get some time as friends, which is really nice, and then we can sit down for the show. Now, folks, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I just game and I'm a part-time parent and I make dinner for these guys. I actually have a full profession of my own. I work full-time in the biotech industry. So I've got a professional career that also requires a great deal of my brain power in a whole different facet. So this is something for both men and women who are involved in professional careers that really are putting their all out but want to enjoy a game that they love. And one of the reasons that we keep coming back to D&D with all of us being professionals, and we'll introduce the players in the Northmore group in just a moment, is that D&D has multiple levels. You know, they talk about those kids' movies where there's humor for the kids and humor for the adults. Mm -hmm. Well, D&D is one of the very few games that you can really play on multiple levels. A lot of the indie games that I've been playing recently, I absolutely love, and I'll just play those for hours and hours, but they take a tremendous amount out of you. You really have to, and not just as the GM, but as a player, have to bring a lot to the table every time you play. A lot of those storyteller games are exactly like that, where it really depends on the group as a whole. And with D&D, it's really fortunate because one person in the group can have kind of an off night where they might not be feeling well, they might have had a really stressful day at work, they might be having problems with their kids in school, whatever it is. And they can kind of take a back seat and not have to role play as much, and the rest of the group can kind of step it up and take that over. But at the same time, that person can still roll some dice and take some treasure and defeat some monsters and still participate in the game. And enjoy it quite Exactly, a bit. and have some fun with that. And, you know, they talk a lot about different gamer types and whether you're a power gamer or you're a role player or a storyteller. And what I've really found is that although people tend toward one of those extremes, everybody has facets of those personalities depending on how they're feeling that night or what type of game it is. Well, and it also depends on what kind of character you've chosen to play for that campaign. Sure. I know that, for instance, there's been games where I've played a really outgoing, vivacious, crazy bard who's all over the map. And other times when I'm a very quiet, reserved ranger who only talks about things when they're really important. And so you kind of have to gauge what kind of player participation there's going to be based on those issues. Absolutely. And one of the things we learned from tournament play at the conventions over the years is that the beautiful thing about a four-hour role-playing tournament is that everybody is encouraged to really be on their best game and really just shove out every bit of energy they possibly can, which is what made them so cool when they were really being run all the time. And a lot of the indie games have that same spirit and bring to it. 
but trying to play them at home doesn't really have that crucible of excitement that doing it at the Well, and I think part of that is is that a, a four-hour slot for a game and you have a character, that's an extreme character in general. Right. That those characters have three, four very high traits that you can play on. Whereas your everyday campaign character might not have those very extreme traits, but they have a more well-rounded Sure. And one of the fun things about playing a one-shot adventure at a con or a one-shot indie game is that you can really play an unusual character, an off-the-wall character, and you can play a group that doesn't necessarily get along, and that's exciting for that four hours. But you never want to have to look at that same person week after week after week after having a huge argument and an ongoing argument. And we've been in groups like that. And in time, those groups somewhat disintegrate and you're left with a half-finished game. Exactly. So while a convention game might have the excitement and just volume cranked all the way up that a a big action movie might have, your campaigns tend to be more like an episodic TV show where they're a little bit more even keel week after week with moments of super excitement like at a season finale or something like that, but they keep you entertained for a really long period of time. Well, and in a four-hour slot, you're not afraid of having your character die. Right. Because... It's a, it's, there's a finite end. Right, and, and someone else made it up, too. And so, you know, you can be somewhat reckless with that character instead of trying to play it a little safe because you want to keep this character around. You might not have the opportunity to have raised deads. You might not even have a cleric within your party. And if you're playing a game like Cthulhu, you're always worried that you're going to go insane or that you're going to strip there and stub your toe. There is a special beauty of going insane in Cthulhu, though. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the beautiful things about Cthulhu, and I think that's why people love it for its role-playing characteristics is because... The characters themselves, they really grow mechanically very slowly, and they tend to die very easily and go insane very easily. You don't have that same level of attachment to them as you do that a character that you built up level after level like in d Absolutely. But I think one of the things that I know for myself it's attractive about D&D, and I believe for a number of the other players in our group, is that it's a departure from your real life that you can be something that you don't necessarily have to be in real life. You know, you can be the person that isn't so responsible. You can be the person who is somewhat reckless. You have the opportunity to just go out there and do something that you would never be able to do in real life. Exactly. Whereas I played a lot of chill, which is a typically set in the modern era, And what you find is that you feel very constrained by all of the things that constrain you in real life. You know, I can't break the law, or if I do break the law, I have to be super careful. And all of that stuff really comes into your mind all the time when playing a modern type game. And that's one of the enduring appeals of fantasy is it's just enough removed from reality that it gives you a completely different perspective. And I think it really balances a lot of people in the end. That they can walk out of a session and just really feel like they've been to therapy almost. Sure. And it's definitely a kind of therapy. And it's not just anger management or something like that. But sometimes it's just the therapy of having some time with your friends. And in our modern lives where we're running around all the time and jobs and everything else, gaming can really be an excuse to get together with your friends and really sit down and talk with them and interact with them and not just sit there and have some beers and watch the game. Exactly. I guess that's enough about us. I'll briefly talk about the other members of our group. They may or may not come on to the podcast. We'll see if if they have an interest in that. But we have three other members of the group. There is Wick, and he is playing a fighter in our group. There's Jeff, 
who is playing the cleric, and Dan, who is playing the rogue. Now, intriguingly, Kim introduced them by their class and not by their character's name. And part of that is because we've only been playing these characters for a very short amount of time, so they really haven't had a chance to really develop a personality. But Wick's character is Rogan, and Jeff's character, amusingly enough, is Seth, which we realized in our session last night, we have Seth Rogan in our group, which is just terrible. They did come up with these names independently. We can take no credit for <laughs> And we actually played, what, like seven or eight hours with the game before we finally realized this. Absolutely. And then... Sad. Dan's character uh, is Oshkin. Oshkin. And Oshkin is a, amusingly enough, Dan is probably the newest role player in the group in terms of you know years of experience. I'd agree with that. But he's definitely really come to the table with, with playing his character. He has definitely stepped it up, and that's been really interesting for me because his character and mine have had a lot of off-scene time. We happen to be the oldest characters within the group. And so... Being able to play off of somebody like that has been great. And I think all of us, except for Jeff perhaps, really love role-playing and love getting into a character and really just talking in that character and thinking in that character while we're at the table and really enjoying and exploring that. However, because of the pressures of the fact that it's 7 o'clock on a weeknight by the time we get to play and everything else, sometimes we just don't have that energy to bring the character to life like we would. So if you hear the recordings of our show and... You don't necessarily hear a ton of role-playing. Part of it is we, it's not that we don't want to do it. We just don't necessarily have it to give. People are oftentimes a little bit tapped out. And to be quite frank, um, the presence of the microphones have certainly uh, brought down the role-playing. Yeah, interestingly. So we're trying to get over the, the kind of mic fright that some of the people in the group have. And, and so you'll hear that develop over the course of the recordings. And, well, some of the folks are, are a little bit intrigued by it and just kind of laughing in a juvenile way about all of the uh, bodily function uh, sounds that they can make and, and see how Tim will edit those out in the end. Yeah. And Dan, who, like we said, has been play- role-playing quite a bit, also has not only a particular tone of voice that easily gets lost in every sort of white noise you could possibly imagine, but he talks quite softly. And so we've tried putting a mic basically in his throat to try to get a better recording of him, but it's just... All it's really done so far has ended up with him whacking the mic with his head quite a bit. Yeah, so if you hear strange thunks, that would be Dan's head. So that's the group of people. Let's talk a little bit about the show. All right, well, we do have some goals that we want to accomplish. Return to Northmore, the goal that, Tim, you had was really to come up with a podcast that would be somewhat of a tutorial for very busy GMs. Exactly. So at minimum, what I hope you get out of the show is someone reading a module to you. It's a new format, kind of like an audiobook, so that where a book, you might sit down and read it, and an audiobook you can listen to in your car. I'm trying to do the same thing for a D&D module, and I'm trying to come up with a good name for it. What do you want to call it? A uh, podule. That's lame. Yeah, well, all right, so if you guys have a better idea, go ahead and write us. Uh, we'll have the address and contact stuff at the end of the show and, of course, in the show notes. But if you've got a better idea on what to call it, uh, please let us know. So we're hoping that GMs will be able to listen to this in their car or on their commute if they're taking public transport, which would be awesome if I could, (laughs) so that you can get an idea of what's going on in the scenario, what kind of scenes you're going to be looking at, what kind of traps, monsters, whatever that you need to be aware of and have the materials at your fingertips so that you can prepare quite easily. Exactly. So at minimum... 
we're going to read the module to you. And we're writing this module as we go, and I'm not going to claim that it's war and peace of modules by any means. It's, you know, we've been writing for a long time, but again, you know, our time is limited. And frankly, I've gotten a lot of ideas out in module form over the years. And so coming up with new stuff is sometimes a little tough. Well, and not only that, but it's nice to have a framework which you can hang things on for your own group. Yeah. Because not every group is the same, and you will have different players, you will have different people who want different things from your game. So having a rough framework works out really well, because then you can take into consideration what your players want. And what we're going to do with Northmore is not only give you a dungeon to crawl through, but really give you an entire campaign package that includes... Here's how you should create characters. And again, you can take our advice exactly as we give it to you, or we're really hoping that you adapt it for your particular group. The other half of this is going to actually be snippets of real gameplay. And so you'll hear the four of us, players, and what Tim is saying as a GM. And we're contemplating whether giving you the whole gaming session or saving Tim some of the editing time and taking snippets of the really important scenes. Yeah, and I think what we've decided on is that we'll try in our opposite week episodes to just give you sort of the highlights of our actual play so that you can get sort of a feeling of how it actually went. We'll tell you in the previous show, here's how it's supposed to go, and then you can hear, well, here's how it actually went. Because oftentimes we've found that things that a GM writes don't exactly play out the way he thought they would. Yeah, and so you can laugh at me as I will tell you one week, here's all of the secret plans of how it should go, and then you can laugh when everything goes awry and I uh, have to think on my feet. There's a lot of times when there will be a trap or a secret that seemingly is quite difficult, and then the players will just breeze through it. On the flip side, I've seen ones where the GM's like, this is drop-dead simple, and it takes the players an hour-plus to figure out what is going on. It's always a challenge to create any sort of encounter, whether it be a combat encounter, a puzzle encounter, or even a role-playing encounter that's challenging enough to catch the players' attentions and be interesting, but isn't so difficult that they just end up pounding their head against the wall and, and throwing their beer bottles at you. Yeah, well... And this way you'll be able to see what kind of mistakes that you need to look out for, and you should be able to kind of have a feel for what your players are going to do in those instances. Exactly, and you'll have an actual example of how it really went, and you can hopefully learn from our mistakes. So, uh, Tim, did you want to say anything else about the goals that you have for this? Sure, absolutely. We're going to, at minimum, read you the module. We're going to give you tips and tricks on how we think it should go, and then in the opposite show we'll kind of tell you how it went and review it to some degree. And we're really hoping to make this into a community effort. So we'll post the here's the module and here's how it's supposed to go information in our forums. And you can go and download that information to actually run the scenario on your own. But we're really hoping that you give back to the community by writing your own thoughts and tips. And here's how I'd improve it. I'm not necessarily looking for criticism. I'm not looking for people to review this. But what I'm looking for people to do is add to it and say, hey, that was a great idea for an encounter, and you know what, I swapped this monster for another one, and this is how it went. Or different traps, different puzzles, depending on your group. Sure. And here's what worked for me, and here's what I would improve if I was to do it again. So that eventually, instead of this being a simple static module that you just download and run, it's a whole community of, here's an encounter, and here's a hundred different variations on it. And you can look through all that and pick out really what works for your group. And this doesn't have to just be module-based. If you're having problems with a particular player, we all have had 
times when we just need somebody to talk to of how should I handle this situation? How do I get my group to meet more frequently? How do I make our gameplay more valuable? Things like that. And we are far from a perfect case and all that. We have had every one of those problems at one time or other. So we can tell you how we've handled it, and we look forward to hearing your feedback as well. And summers are particularly difficult because we're all really busy. Right, and everybody has a lot harder time sitting down at the table for three or four hours, even on a weeknight when it's nice and sunny outside. So we're hoping to do this on a bi-weekly basis, right. with one week being instruction on here's a module, and then the next time that we will be talking to you will be snippets of actual gameplay. Again, the three goals are, I'm going to read you the module, I'm going to give you tips, and then we're going to have this community aspect where we can really turn this into a living, breathing thing. And where's that community going to be? So we are part of the Spooky Outhouse podcast network, and we really hope you drop by our forums there and contribute and you know contribute to all of the shows on Spooky Outhouse. Okay, so I guess next time we meet, we're going to be talking about the world that Tim has graciously created for us and how we go about character creation. Exactly. Again, this isn't just a simple dungeon crawl that we're going to present to you, but it's really sort of a soup to nuts, here's how to run a campaign, here's how we sit down and decide what the world's going to be like and what the players are going to be and how the characters are going to fit together and the whole nine yards. And So we're going to cover sort of the world and the characters next time. All right, so until next time, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Return to Northmore, a podcast released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license by Tim White and Kim Stone. Our theme music is Charge of the Valiant from Dronalyn's Tower, Legends of Kithalin Volume 1, Tales of the Long Forgotten, used by permission of its composer, David Allen Young. Find out more about their fantastic gaming music at dronalyn.com. Visit us and many other fine podcasts at spookyouthouse.com. Spooky Outhouse.